And so you found yourself uh, here today. Well, we're in Genesis chapter 20, uh, Genesis chapter 20. And uh, I would say to you, if you uh, are tired of making and failing at New Year's resolutions, then today's your day. So we're going to talk about that. But I just uh, this morning went back just very quickly. Not only are we to tell you about the whole counsel of God, but the Bible tells us in the New Testament that our job is to be helpers of your joy. That's what our job is. To be helpers of your joy. And one of the things that the New Testament tells us is that we are to put you in remembrance of things you may already have known. Isn't that interesting? And how do we do that? Are you like me where sometimes you forget when you read the next chapter or whatever? And I was going through 119 this morning of the Psalms, how the word strengthens you and cleanses you and counsels you. And I could go on and on and on. I circled all the words that reading the word does for us and obeying the word. You could do that here in your first week of uh, 2024. But anyway, uh, lots to say and lots to know and uh, lots to celebrate this year and going forward. But before we do all that, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and quiet our hearts before the Lord to get ready to worship the Lord with our folks up here. So go ahead and bow your heads. And Heavenly Father, we come this morning uh, so thankful, grateful, just humbled, Lord, by all that you've accomplished, you are accomplishing and will accomplish. And Lord, we come this morning putting aside the busyness of our lives to do what we should do, (laughs) is to sit at your feet and to worship you. And we pray that you would... Give us the strength, ability to do that with a pure heart and that you'd be pleased with what you hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Would you guys stand with us?
morning this morning i was listening um to our dwell lap shameless plug if you don't know what that is um ask us later but i was listening as i was getting ready this morning and i was on job and it was um talking about um the part in scripture where he says lord though you slay me yet i will bless you and though you take from me i'll praise your name and i was just thinking as we come into the um place with God this morning and we're just thinking of what this day means, right? We're looking back at this year, 2023. A lot of us have a lot of um, pain that we suffered this year, right? And we have a lot of heaviness and um, we just went through a lot of, I don't know, change if you moved or if you, um, you know, maybe you had a new baby or just a lot of things. And, and, and life, I love that quote that says, here's life, beautiful and terrible things happen. Have you heard that? And that's what happens it just in living because of sin, right? But as we just think about and we look upon this year, um, just thankful for that verse that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. And so even though we can come this morning and we've had heavy years, we've all had something that happened, we can still say, Lord, though you slay me, I'm still going to praise you, right? Because we have the hope of heaven 
Amen. So as we sing this next song, we're going to sing, God is able. He will never fail. He's almighty God. So even if you are struggling this morning, you can still say this because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.
didn't um, pick the set list this morning. Mike Reynolds did, so shout out to him. He's home. He doesn't feel great. But as we were practicing this morning, I was like, what a fitting song, Mike Reynolds, for the end of the year. You have been so good to me. So if you don't know it, it's pretty simple, but would you join us as we sing this song? You 
your house this morning Lord we just want to praise you Lord for everything that you've done Lord in 2023 Lord for salvation Lord for new life Lord for healing for cleansing Lord for new jobs for new places to live Lord for providing for us every single day Lord that your mercies are new every morning And Lord, as we come and as we enter this place, Lord, we've come to hear your word. So Lord, we just pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, and you would open up our hearts to understanding, Lord, what you would have for us this morning. And Lord, that we would be able to hold your word in our heart, Lord, and walk worthy of the calling of Christ. So Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, you've been so good to us. Most importantly, that you you brought your son down to earth as a baby, Lord, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death. But he defeated grave, the grave, and he defeated Lord sin. And now we have this opportunity to be reconciled with you. As Lord Jesus, we thank you for new life. We thank you for the hope of heaven. And this morning, Lord, would you teach us what you'd have for us? In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to take five minutes. Parents, you can take your kids down to Sunday school. Say some hi to someone you don't know, and we'll see you back here in five.
Well, good morning. You can grab a seat. If you're downstairs, you can make your way back up as we celebrate and we're excited for the upcoming year. And like the common theme is, uh, looking back at the Lord's faithfulness over this past year. Hey, and if you don't know, if you haven't heard or if you haven't seen the sign-up sheet, uh, tonight we're having a bringing in the New Year's um, gathering, party, get-together here at the church. So all are more than welcome to come. It's going to start at 7. Again, here at the church, there's going to be food, um, and they're going to be watching the ball drop. I know that there's gonna, they're going to start it off with a devotional and end it with a devotional. Um, so what a cool way to bring in the new year looking back and looking forward. So that's going to be tonight at the church. Again, you are more than welcome. Um, there's a sign-up sheet in the back, but if you didn't sign up, that's okay. Still come. If you have questions, you can see Brad and Cindy Ebert. Um, that also means that there's no corporate prayer tonight. Um, there, there will be opportunities to pray at the gathering tonight, but there won't be the normal corporate prayer service um, like we typically have on Sunday nights. So that is tonight. You can see them with questions. Um, Wednesday night, we pick up our, our midweek service again where we're going through the book of Proverbs and uh, the youth and students and children's ministries will also be having their services. So that's this Wednesday night. We'll continue with that. And then Friday night, if you haven't, if you don't know this, if you're new or if you haven't heard, we have several different, um, some people call it small group uh, meetings or uh, what we call home fellowship meetings. So that's going to be, it's, it's, there's one every Friday typically. Um, but this Friday, there's the, the, um, Baldwin Home Fellowship at the Ebert's house. And then also, um, the Clark Home Fellowship over in Peters Township. And so those are at seven and seven thirty respectively. And then also, well, I guess six, I'm sorry, because the Ebert's eat beforehand. And then also, um, the overlap, which is the young adults ministry. Um, I'm too old for it. So I'm not a young adult. So if you're younger than me, and you're out of high school, then you're more than welcome to come to that. But that's going to be at the Pizzuti's house this Friday. So young adults, uh, you can go see Cade or Lexi if you have questions about that. And then a couple things just as we look forward um, to the next year. On the 13th of January, that's going to be a Saturday right at noon. Uh, we're going to go downtown again and evangelize, share the gospel. And what a cool way to um, get out of your comfort zone and really love people by telling them the truth of the gospel. What a, what a neat opportunity. So that's going to be January 13th. Um, children's ministry luncheon, just as appreciation lunch. That's the 21st of January. Uh, if you are involved in the children's ministry, you would have received an email for that. If you can reply back and let them know so they can make sure that they have enough food, um, that would be much appreciated. And then, um, one, a couple, or a couple other things. We have reading plans in the back. If you are someone who needs a list, um, if that helps you, if that's a tool that's useful, there's one-year, two-year uh, Bible reading plans in the back, back there. Then also, Olivia mentioned, did you hear mentioned the uh, Dwell app? If you weren't here when we mentioned this earlier in December, um, you as a body of Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, the church has purchased um, the, uh, an app called Dwell. So we have so many licenses, and what it is, is it's an audio Bible that you listen to on your phone. So if you would like to do that, it's free for you. The church pays for it, and you can just you can set up playlists. We send out um, what each week what we're going to be studying, so that you can listen to it on the way here. You know, most of you have more than a five minute drive, right? So you can listen to the text before in the car. And what a way to get the word of God in you as you're doing your makeup. If you're my wife, that's when she was listening to it this morning. Um, so just another opportunity to saturate our hearts with the word of God. 
So with that being said, let's open to Genesis chapter 20 as we continue in the word of God this morning. You good? (laughs) Don't you love his shirt? Everybody, do you like his shirt? Yeah, that's a present from me. So, (laughs) So he tried to wiggle out of it, but uh, we got him to wear it. Okay, hey, to listen, January 21st, we're going to start up another uh, semester of our little Bible college uh, that we run here, and we're going to do 2 Samuel. We did 1 Samuel, isn't that clever, uh, last semester, and uh, we're in the book, halfway through a book called Church History. It's about church history, a uh, very famous book by a guy named Bruce Shelley, and we're going through that and using the workbook. Uh, if you were in uh, first semester, raise your hand if you were in first semester. Raise it up high, high, high. I still need your tests results, okay? I still need your, so little, little, uh, embarrassing there, but, uh, turn, <laughs> turn with me to, uh, Genesis chapter 20, and I, uh, don't like to do this, but I'm gonna read you some statistics I want you to know. Uh, let me see if I can find them. Hopefully I can. The statistics are coming up now. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Forbes did a thing on New Year's, uh, statistics. Um, this is interesting about New Year's resolutions. Cracks me up. Anybody here ever made a resolution and about by Monday of the first week, you're sort of through with it and maybe even forgotten about it. 62% of people say they feel pressured. Isn't that funny? Pressured uh, to set a New Year's resolution. Uh, 48% of the people saying proving fitness is a top priority. Uh, if you uh, jump that up to 55%, uh, you can add in mental health and physical uh, stuff are of equal importance. Uh, uh, and um, almost uh, by the first month, I think we're in the 60% of people who have already failed at their uh, New Year's resolution. And uh, if you get to the second month, that drops to around... The third month, again, decreasing. And by the time you get to the fourth month, you're in the eight percentile if you're keeping up with your uh, New Year's resolution. You say, well, great, Pastor. I came here for some good news. That doesn't sound like some good news. But see, if you look at the Bible, then you find the good news. And uh, we are here... At a time when maybe, although we'll get into the nuances of this, maybe Abraham, the friend of God, the book of James tells us. Maybe he gave sort of a New Year's resolution about some sin that had happened in his past. And I got to tell you something, folks, as we're going to see today. And humanly, humanly, listen to what I'm saying, humanly, Abraham failed miserably. He didn't keep up with his, quote unquote, New Year's resolution or his resolution to, quote, do it, do better. Anybody ever said that in your Christian life? I just want to do better. I laugh when I hear that. I laugh when I say it. It's not do better. It's sit under his feet more. 
Be closer. Draw up tight under the shadow of his wings. Snug up there. And we're going to see that here today as we continue through Genesis 19. Now remember, last Sunday we talked about this. When you talk about grace, it should really impact all the people or teach about grace, all the people in your fellowship. You know, I don't know if you know this, but we got some really conservative people here in the fellowship. I mean, really conservative people in my fellowship. But hey, wait a minute. We got some really liberal people in the fellowship and we got people all the way up and down the spectrum. And I don't consider myself conservative of liberal. I consider, consider myself a follower of Jesus. Uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. And when you preach grace, when you preach grace, everybody in that entire spectrum ought to feel something. People over here in the liberal camp, uh, oh, praise the Lord. You know, it's so wonderful. I can do all these things and Oh, you know, just call upon the grace of God. But the Bible says you would never trample on God's grace. Not a new creation in Christ. You wouldn't trample. You wouldn't have a license to sin. You wouldn't have a license to live any way you want. You wouldn't do that because you're a new creation in Christ. And then you have the people over here who, you know, I'm not talking about any of you, of course. The ones who are pointing. Do you see that person? I mean, they square danced on Christmas at Calvary Chapel. I mean, come on. In the sanctuary, they were square dancing. And Paul says, oh my. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us, you know. You you, you try to strain out gnats. You're straining out gnats and you're forgetting things like Love, righteousness, forgiveness, joy. You're worried about this thing and that thing. And so grace can really impact the whole fellowship, the whole body of believers. And I want you to see it again here in chapter 20. Last time we saw it two weeks ago in uh, chapter 19, when two angels went down, Abraham was there, and uh, Lot and his family were to run out of Sodom and Gomorrah and not look uh, look around. And of course, Abraham, or excuse me, Lot's wife did that. And we examined that, and many of you have come up and said, wow, we've not seen, not because of me, but because of the Lord. We haven't seen the scriptures in that way, well, hold on to your hat. Because this is shocking in some ways. Here's what we're talking about. Verse 1, chapter 20. And Abraham journeyed from there. From where? (laughs) Where was he? He was down in the south. If I had my handy-dandy map, I didn't tell them to put it up, but if I had my handy-dandy map, you'd know Sodom and Gomorrah is down at the bottom of the sea, Dead Sea. And uh, Abram, so we're in the south of Israel. 
And, uh, oh, look at this. I can see the light come on. And uh, you see where Sodom and Gomorrah is, and you see where Salem and Beersheba is. In between there, there is a place called Gerar. It's not up there, but it's 12 miles south of a little city you might have heard of called Gaza. And here's what Abraham does. He journeys from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. That's 12 miles south of Gaza. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Here comes the friend of God and he's lying. He's lying, folks. And and you know what's interesting? We're going to find out that he's telling a half-truth. Because she really is his half-sister, but he's also his wife. And we're going to find out at the end of this chapter that this is something, this is sort of this little scheme that Abraham and Sarah always played. In fact... If you'll remember and turn with me, just turn back to chapter 12. Abraham, I want you to see the heights of high, the highest of heights that you can go to as a believer, as a person who's a friend of God. The highest of heights, the Lord appears to Abram. And he says to him, Hey, I want you to leave the earth of the Chaldeans. I want you to go out of your place in Babylon. I want you to do that. I want you to trust me. And I want to get out of there and I want you to get away from your family. Not that, you know, the Bible always respects family, loves family, but he was calling him away to separate himself from the place of Babylon and go from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, listen, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, he must have been scratching his chin, scratching his head, because he had no biological kids yet. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12. But... The God of the universe appears to him, speaks to him, something. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you were sitting there, you know, watching the Steelers in your little tent and uh, eating lunch, and all of a sudden the Lord appears to you and says, I want you to move, and I'm going to make you a great nation. You might say to yourself, me? Well, why me? But just trust me. I'm going to do that. And so... It says that Abram departed as the Lord had spoken, and he went to Haran, and then he goes down into the land of Canaan. But you know something that Abram did right off the bat. Look in verse uh, 10 of chapter 12. Now, there was a famine in the land. Time out. Who here this year has wondered about the provision of God or provision in general? Am I going to make my rent? Can I pay for the college? The wedding's coming up. Uh, all these sorts of things, whatever. Can I make my mortgage? My business seems like it's going under. I don't know. My, my friend, my daughter, I don't know how, and on and on. The list can go on and on, correct? You felt that. 
So have we. We've all felt that. And here, a little famine happens, or a famine happens. I mean, the Lord just told him, I want you to live in the land of Canaan. I don't want you to live in Egypt. I don't want you to live in Spain. I don't want to live in Russia. I want you to live in the land of Canaan. But a famine comes, so he gets scared. And he goes down to Egypt, and look what he does. He says to Sarah's wife, I know that you're a woman of beauty. Therefore, it'll happen when the Egyptians see you that they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me. Self-preservation. <laughs> Wife, make sure I'm fine. That's what Abram said. That's the man of God, folks, that we elevate to the highest of highs. But the Bible never does that. The Bible's real and raw. And here he goes. He puts his wife out there. And what would these Egyptian or these kingly leaders of ancient times do? They had harems. This is Abram. Therefore, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they'll let you live. But so please, just say you're my sister, okay? That it may be well with me. And of course, honey, it's for your sake. Wow. And you know the story because we've been, uh, we went over it. The Lord plagued Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's like, what? What did I do? What's happening? And the Lord unraveled that whole thing and everyone was spared. And now you turn to chapter 20 again. Now on several occasions in the interim, do you remember? God had to remind them, Sarah and Abram, you're going to have a child. And we saw in the last two weeks that we've been studying it, that they laughed at this. They laughed. And in particular, Sarah scoffed. And of course, I mean, you feel for her. She's an older lady. Of course, they lived longer back in those days, but she's an older lady. And she laughed. And we're at the time where God has said, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to name him Laughter. That's what he, they were to name this son. And all of a sudden, watch, here comes this story. And look, in chapter 12, when he got scared, which way did he go? Towards Egypt, down, south. Egypt's always a picture of sin and the world in the Bible. Everybody know that? And the Bible tells us in Ephesians, right? There's three enemies that the Christian has, three The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's Ephesians chapter 2, I believe. And what's interesting about all of the enemies, they're all getting you to say the same thing. You deserve what's best for you. There's pride. There's self-interest. Grab what you can take, the world says. Look at every advertisement. You deserve a break today. It started, right? McDonald's started it. No, I'm kidding. But you deserve a break today. You deserve that luxury car. You deserve this. And really, when you examine the Bible, now listen to what I'm saying. Here's what we deserve. We deserve death and hell because we are sinners who've fallen short of the grace of God or the standard of God. Amen? That's what the Bible says. But the world tries to say you deserve it. The um, the flesh says I'm demanding my rights. We see it in the church. 
uh, hey, uh, you know, you ought to forgive that person. I can't. Why can't you? Well, they wronged me. Okay. Well, I deserve respect and honor and pride and all that sort of thing. That's the flesh bubbling to the surface, folks. The world, the flesh, and the enemy of our souls. The enemy of our souls doesn't come with some red horns or spinning neck and vomiting. The enemy of our souls is pretty and beautiful and sweet and says things like, did God really say something like that? No way. You deserve to have. So go ahead and eat. It's always the same play. And all of us feel it. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that. I've felt it. And so here you could just think, one of the, or think and examine, one of the things Abram probably should learn is not to head for the world, but in fairness to Abram and Sarah, they don't leave the land of Canaan, but they're certainly headed towards Egypt. And the Bible tells us, and you could just read it, if you have one, don't love the world, if you have one foot in the world and one foot in the spiritual kingdom of God and you're trying to navigate both, oh my, it's a wreck. You forget how to act here and what to do there and who you told what, and it's uh, pressure, and it's disaster. And just by the very fact that Abram here is headed that way, suggests to us that, oh no, things aren't going to go well in this chapter. Of course, let's be fair, he's still in the kingdom of God. And he says, she is my sister. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister, and this king, who means son of a king, Abimelech, there's several Abimelechs in the Bible. Okay? So many people believe the word Abimelech, son of a king, is a title, not a name. Get it? Anyway, and that's going to become important when we get to the punchline of this story. So he comes, and there's this king of Gerar, 12 miles south of Gaza, headed towards Egypt. And he sent and took Sarah. Because that's what kings did back then. They started to include the beautiful people, the beautiful ladies, into their harem. And that's what's happening here. Now, I want to remind you of something. When you look back and you think of Abram, Here's what we tend to think, and rightly so, as we'll find out as we continue through the story. Abram Lot, here's what we think in our minds. Abram, what a guy, pious saint, man of faith, friend of God. Lot, what a crumb. Didn't listen, only looked with his eyes. Guys, gals. Here we go, a second time in the Bible, not the first time, a second time in the Bible. Abram puts his wife in jeopardy, and he has been told that she is going to have a son, and you're going to name him Laughter, and in some of the translations, the implication is she's already pregnant. I don't know if she's already pregnant. But the promise is there, 
is that Abram and Sarah are going to have relations and they're going to become pregnant at about the same time next year. Maybe that's what uh, it says in the last chapter. There's some debate about that, about the language, but whatever. Soon she's going to have a baby. And in the middle of this, they trek down to Gerar and he says, self-preservation. Sounds like a real hero, right? And yet, I'm not saying any of us have done that. But we've done some pretty creepy things. I sit here and I go, Abram, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Didn't you learn your lesson? And just about the time lesson hits the end, I think to myself, oh boy, it's speaking right to me. But God came to Abimelech, verse 3, in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you're a dead man. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine Abimelech? The king of Gerar, he set up, you know, those beautiful beds that they would have, or you think that he would have guards outside, everything safe and secure and wonderful. And you got this big harem and you got a kingdom to, you know, advance and you're rich and you got power. And all of a sudden you're just sitting there sort of minding your own business. You have a, another lady that's been included in your harem and, uh, uh, all of a sudden you're dreaming instead of, and I'm not trying to be too graphic, but, uh, ancient kings would initiate uh, a new person uh, through sexual relations. But somehow, some way, that's not happening right now. Praise the Lord. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're a dead man. Because of the woman who you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, I want you to see something here, folks. The love between a man and a wife is precious and holy. And God notices and pays attention to it. And hopefully, this is the part where, starting with me, the Lord is coming right to your kitchen, right to your front room. Because we have an epidemic in our world. I don't know if you know it. It's called pornography. But really what you could call it is adultery. And we could sit here and pick on the men. Yeah, we could do that. But it also is happening to women in exponential exploding numbers. It's happening for women. So we can't just say, okay, I didn't do the physical act. Well, Jesus didn't leave us room for that. He said, if you've lusted after another, you've committed adultery. And here, God says, I'm going to deal with that in a serious way. That's a sin. You're a dead man. Whoa. Now, just for Bible interest's sake, you could take this in any way you want, and you could think about it and pray about it. Look at the last verse of this chapter. I want to add something here. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Something was wrong with Abimelech, folks. We don't know it till the end of the story, 
God healed his wife and his female servants, and then they bore children. Listen, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, some people believe, just, okay, listen, we're all adults here. Some people believe Abimelech on this night was impotent or had no interest. And clearly the ladies couldn't get pregnant. You read that. And God heals it after the story. And if that's true, let's just think about uh, the first thing. If that's true, you know, generally, if you're a male, you'd probably say, I don't really want to be that or have that. And if you have that, I'm not making fun, but you probably would say that. And people are going and getting medical uh, care for stuff like that. Amen. Right. But let's just take it. Listen, God uses something that this pagan didn't want for God's purpose and his glory. Did you catch that? For protection of his people. Did you catch that? You say, why does bad things happen to good people? You're asking the wrong question if you ever ask that. The answer is, why does anything ever good happen to bad people? And here, God in his omniscience and his power knows what's going on and is trying to protect his people. Why? Because this is important that you know this. Through Isaac is coming the line through which Jesus will eventually come. And God is going to protect his promises and purposes because if Jesus didn't come, we're all sunk. If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus in a personal way, I'm not saying it. Don't take this the wrong way. You can come up and get mad at me if you want. But the Bible says that we are going to suffer suffer spiritual death. That's eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible says. And God will go at any lengths, so many lengths. Even here, he protected his line so that Jesus could come through it. Are you guys with me? Because, watch, before you get upset at me for saying it, you're that important to him, that you reside in heaven with him forever that he would go to all these lengths, through all these stories, through all these families, through all these years, through all these histories, all these different scenarios, and he would work it out for his good and uh, glory, but also for your good. Isn't it amazing? So when you go back and you say, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man. Well, sin always leads to death. But maybe what this is saying, some commentators believe, means he was dead sexually. Everybody with me? Okay. So, you keep going. Indeed, you're a dead man because of the women whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. God's love between a man and a woman. Married people. Is holy and sacred. And God has it on his heart, folks, to protect it. But Abimelech had not come near her and said, uh, well, Lord, <laughs> Lord, listen, this is a pagan king, folks. Will you slay a righteous nation also? In other words, did 
he not say to me, he, she is my sister, Lord. And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in innocence of my hands, I have done this. That's what uh, Abimelech comes clean with the Lord. What a great opportunity uh, for us to see how to pray. You say, well, he's a pagan. You ever uh, remember this verse? Uh, turn over with me to Luke chapter 8. Excuse me, Luke chapter 11. I want you to think about this. Now, listen, <laughs> I know. I'm going round in circles. Don't you think I know that? <laughs> I know I am. But we're going to come back full circle here at the end, okay? I don't have a bullet point. I'm sorry. I just don't. I can't do it that way. So we're going in circles a little bit, and I feel it up here as I'm teaching it to you. But when we get back, I think it's going to all make sense. And when you get to Luke chapter 11, you see this. <laughs> if, well, wait a minute. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> he, see, you think I have a bullet point up here. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 11, it says this. Or Luke, I think it's 8. Let's do this. Go to Matthew 7. Do that. <clears throat> Go to Matthew chapter 7. Ah, oh, I'm there, finally. Sorry, guys. You never read this? Ask and it will be given to you. We love this. Seek and it will you find. Knock and it will be opened. Oh, praise the Lord. Just knock, knock, knock. This is wonderful. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds and to him who knocks, it'll be open. These are amazing promises. I love this. Thank you, Jesus. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Come on, folks. What person, if a son asks for bread, would give him a stone? That's mean. Would you agree that's mean? And uh, uh, Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? I mean, that's mean. You ever? I don't know about you guys, but I hate snakes. By the way, I don't like fish that much, but it's because I'm allergic. But, man, if I ordered fish and out came a rattlesnake, now some people in here might like it, but uh, I wouldn't. Who would do that? If you then being evil, I don't know if I like this part. What's the Lord saying here? He's saying people that are outside the family of God, even do this. And I'm not doing that in a spiritual superior way. I'm saying there's people who don't follow God and they do right things when it comes to their kids or people who ask them. If you ask for a fish, you wouldn't give them a serpent. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts, which Abimelech does apparently, uh, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And the reason I bring this scripture up is because this is a really interesting passage. 
uh, chapter where you have this highfalutin idea of who Abraham is and you sort of go, ah, he's so wonderful and Lot, he's such a crumb. And then they, the Lord throws you this curveball by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he uses a pagan person to teach a lesson to the friend of God, the one who walked with God. And you see this contrast. You go, wait a second. This is backwards. And the Lord's trying to teach us all something here. He's saying, and what is the Lord trying to teach us? Do you remember when Abraham and uh, was down in Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, Abram had this conversation. It was like ping pong. And the conversation was this. Lord, if there's uh, 50 people in the town, 50 righteous people, will you save the town? And then, oh yeah, I'd do that. Well, what about 45? And what about 40? And what about, and what about, and gets all the way down to 10? You remember those prayers? Look at this. God's using a person who's outside of the family of God, and that person has a respect and awe for God that he volleys with the Lord in a respectful way and prays according to God's nature. Did you see that? And what I think the Bible is telling us here is, look, why don't you do it? You're in the family of God, why don't you do it? You say, what, what do you mean? How often this week did you ask and knock? How often this week did I ask and knock? Or did I complain? Or did I watch football? Or did I do this or did I do that? None of it is bad in and of itself. Of course, complaining is. But how often do I volley with the Lord in the most respectful way? Lord, according to your kindness, according to your long-suffering, According to your forbearance, according to your mercy, help save the one who needs saved or whatever you're praying. Amen? And here, look, Abimelech does it. Abimelech does it. And then he says uh, something here that really catches our hearts. He says, hey, didn't he say to me, she's my sister? And she even said, herself said, he's my brother in the integrity of my heart. And innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him, here it comes again in a dream. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm all knowing God's saying. I don't think he's saying it in a bragging way. He's just saying, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. Now, I want you to know something here, folks. You're going to see it a couple times right here in two passages right now. Uh, you see that God through the Holy Spirit, through Moses, uses a word here that's never been used before in the Bible. The word is integrity. God's never used it in the Bible, and you know this if you're studying the Bible. This is the principle of first mention. If you want to know what something means in the Bible, generally go to the first place where it's discussed and look at the circumstances and how it's used, and you're going to glean a lot from that. And this word... Integrity means soundness, sound. 
with no holes in it. It's a sound boat. It's a sound person. The Bible tells us that we get the righteousness of Christ in him when we surrender our lives to Christ. And then he transforms us by the renewing of our minds so that we become sound. It also has the implication, listen, all the time in the Bible of single-mindedness. You're sound because you focus on one thing. Now in the Bible, Paul tells us, right? Paul tells us he doesn't say it this way. I'm saying it. Paul says, I'm a one-string guitar. Or I want to be a one-string guitar. I just want to know the Lord and his goodness and his glory and sit at his feet. Just one thing, the goodness of God. And I asked asked me and I asked you, I'm telling you what, I am the least single-minded person here. I love to learn about all kinds of different things. And then the next thing I know, you know, I'm down this rabbit trail about some war in Siberia in 1813 or something. And you're like, what in the world? I just wasted all this time. Wikipedia and blah, 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 blah. And I could do that. I like to learn about new things and do new things and explore in new places. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But sometimes I think to myself, man, I'm wasting time. I could be sitting at the feet of the Lord, worshiping, studying his word, knowing him in a deeper way. Helping my family as we do that. Anybody else like that? Integrity. That's integrity. I mean, come on. Integrity. And the Bible speaks in a lot of different places, folks. A lot of different places. The Bible speaks of integrity. In fact, the Proverbs tell us, look at this. The Proverbs tell us, if we have integrity... It'll bless our children. Let me say that again. If we have integrity, it'll bless our children. Your children will be blessed. It's not some automatic formula, but you're setting up an environment in your home, in your family life, where your children glean from that. You say, well, I don't have children. Well, you should, and here's why. Don't, wait a minute, here comes, let me finish. Everybody should have children, whether it's biological not or not, and that's disciple-making. You and I are responsible to be discipled and to be a discipler of people. And if you don't have biological children, okay, that's okay, but you're discipling somebody. And the Bible says if you walk in integrity, it's going to bless and help your family, or the people you're responsible for, that you walk in integrity. Do you know that? And so you look and examine this chapter and you say, well, what is Abram doing that's not leading his family in integrity and that God is using, it's like God is like, you know, pouring water over Abram's head and also ours. Because you're rooting for Abram, so am I. Abimelech, that pagan dude. Come on. Come on, Abram. Let's do it. And all of a sudden, the pagan guy is showing a better way. Amen? Wow. So the first thing that integrity takes, uh, humility. Can you imagine? Abram said, you know, God, 
I'm the one that you've been promising all these amazing things to. I'm the one. (laughs) Not this guy down by Gaza. Me. So I surely know that you don't want me to listen to him. I'm the pastor. Who are you to tell me? You ever heard somebody say that? That's sort of icky, isn't it? But it could happen, right? And it could happen in your life. And so the first thing you look at with with respect to integrity is that you are to be a humble person so that you receive the grace of God. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. You see it right off the bat. Can you imagine being scolded by Abimelech or encouraged or whatever, or corrected, whatever? And, oh, by the way, the humiliation that Abraham must get through because he gave his wife to this lady or this guy. And now Abimelech is acting in a godly way. And you see that. And here's another thing that you start to say. Look, oh my. Get rid of the half-truths in your life. God honors honesty. Now, I always get this question. Somebody will come up after. What if your wife asks if she looks good in that one thing? Uh, I'm going to let Xander answer that one. But listen. You say, oh, yeah, okay, well, I want to be a truthful guy. But listen. I'm going to nail all of us. Netflix account. You let everybody use your Netflix account. You're only supposed to let the people in your house use the Netflix account. Taxes. Well, I'm some little person who lives in Pleasant Hills. Who in the world's going to care about what I write down on my taxes? There's no IRS. Have truths. You know, <laughs> phone rings. You see who the caller is. Honey, answer it. Tell them I'm not here. And I could keep going on and on and on and on. But the Bible, if you study it, listen, says integrity matters. Because God is much more, listen, God is much more concerned with the heart of who you are than what you do necessarily. Should I go to Yale or Harvard? Hmm, okay, God could probably, God's probably interested in that, but He's more interested in who you be when you, or who you are when, you, who you are when you go to Yale or Harvard. Amen? Why? Because the Bible tells us He's conforming us from glory to glory. The Bible says that we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Bible says that He, uh, is growing us in Christ likeness, Romans 8, 29. God is really concerned with the character of his people. Much more so than where you go or what you do. He's concerned with the character of his people. So he gives out his word and he says things like this, be honest, don't lie. Netflix account. Taxes. What else did I say? 
Anyway, you know it. On and on and on we go. And we compromise and we compromise and we compromise. And the next thing you know, our integrity really, if people really knew, wasn't where it's supposed to be. Now, Abram got himself in big-time trouble because he chose to do a half-truth. Yeah, tell him she's my sister, and everything will be okay. And I want you to see how diabolical this is. Hang on with me here for a minute. Look down in verse 13. And it came to pass when God had caused me to wonder. By the way, isn't that Abram blaming God? from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. Honey, just do this one thing for me. What integrity, huh? In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he's my brother. In in other words, this was a scheme, watch, that Abraham and Sarah hatched, mostly Abraham, to tell lies. Come on, man. Is this the Abraham you've always thought of? And God said to him, yeah, I know you did this, verse 6, for I also withheld from you, you from sinning against me. What one thing can integrity do? You're not going to gain God's favor into heaven by being into, you know, having integrity or not. You get that, right? God couldn't love you any more than he already does. You know how I know that? Because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you and I. The ultimate price, he did it. He loves you. So having integrity doesn't mean you're gaining favor. Raise your hand if you heard what I just said. Oh, just a few. Okay. But what integrity does, look, it's protection. In this life. And God is honoring the integrity and you can't even see it. And he's either striking Abimelech with something that night where he wouldn't participate in sex. Or he just told him he was a dead man and he scared him to death. And in the integrity of Abimelech, God protected the person of God. Integrity protects us. You say, nobody's listening. Nobody sees. It's so untrue. God sees and God knows. And there's protection there when you walk in integrity. Do you see it? So you keep going and you go, okay, so God knows. And he withheld. It's so interesting. You from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. And now I have to read something I can almost, or I can't almost believe. If I was writing the Bible, I would get right here and I would say, now I'm going to return, God said, now I'm going to return your wife to you, you loser. I wouldn't say that, but how could you, to you, how could you do this? To you, the one who failed. I wouldn't say loser, okay? All right, I wouldn't say loser. But you get what I'm trying to make a point. If I was doing it, I would get here and I would be like, we're going to return your wife, but you you need to come see me after school and we're going to have it out. Hey, wait, wait. 
God says, I want you to return to Abraham, who's my prophet. God is still going to use him. He failed his New Year's resolution. In fact, his is even worse. He hatched this plan with his wife to keep doing it every time they got into trouble. And she, for some, you know, for whatever reason, went along with it and they put her in jeopardy. And now he's restoring the man's wife because the pagan person had integrity and walked in integrity and kept them from doing something that would be disastrous. And now restore the man's wife for he is a jerk. Thank goodness I didn't write the Bible. (laughs) Because, you know, maybe that's what should be said of me or should be said of you. But the Lord says, no, look, I'm still going to use Abraham because he's a prophet. And what did a prophet do? A prophet listened to God, walked with God, listened to God, and proclaimed the word of God. That's what he is. That's what Abram is. He's a prophet. And he'll pray for you, and you're going to live. But if you don't restore, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. Now, just real quick, and I don't do anything real quick, but you know in Romans 11, I think it's verse 29, you know that it says the gifts... I'm going to read it to you. This is amazing. The gift and callings of God. Okay? Speaking, you say, because here's the question that comes up. Well, isn't he disqualified from everything? For the gifts and the calling of God, listen, folks, are irrevocable. I didn't say it. It says it right there. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And you say, okay, well, Doesn't this disqualify him? Well, yes, listen, if you read the entire Bible, you know that if you're in a position of leadership or something like that, and uh, you uh, do some of the things that Abraham's done, you're probably not going to be preaching the next week, right? And you probably shouldn't. But the Bible says the gifts are still there. They haven't been revoked. Now, you probably aren't going to stand up here and lead people for a while, And probably that's so. You're held to a higher standard in a leadership position. I get that. And I don't remember when we started this, we said that some people on this side of the aisle are going to feel really uncomfortable because the people on this side of the aisle right now are going, get that guy. Get him out of the Bible. (laughs) And the people over there are like, oh, come on, you're being too harsh. And then there's everybody in between. But the Bible says his gifts are irrevocable. Prophet. In other words, you're not disqualified from ministering to people. I don't know about in a leadership position. That's a different. But I'm saying, have you ever done something and you've said, I can't go back to church now. Look what I've done. I'm going to stay away for a while. 
I know it. I don't deserve it. Well, the Bible says your gifts and callings are irrevocable and you have a gift maybe of encouragement. The church needs your encouragement, folks. You get it? Is everybody with me? We ought to be jumping up and down out of the chairs about this one. Because we just had two weeks of holidays, and I always hear horror stories at holidays. Uncle Fred or Uncle whoever, Aunt Gertrude, she's such a pain, and we always fight, and I feel like I'm terrible, and I come back, and then I struggle to get back into church. You ever heard sort of those things? Yeah, right. The Bible says your gifts or the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Oh, he calls Abram a prophet. So Abimelech gets up early, verse 8 calls all his servants, told all these things in their hearings. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abram and said to him, what have you done? How have I offended you that you've brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abram, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? Here is a pagan, non-believing guy criticizing in a good way the friend of God. One of the things this tells us, I think, is that because we read it in the book of Colossians chapter 4, folks, if you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, one of the things that I think this chapter teaches us right here is that, because Colossians 4 tells us, is be careful how you act to people who are not of the faith. Guess why? They're watching. Abimelech probably is never going to listen to a sermon from Abraham and go, boy, that really touched me. Because Abimelech knows, right? He probably isn't going to do that in all fairness and all his humanness. He's probably going to go, I don't know if I could receive from Abraham, but hold on. So Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they'll kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she truly, there is truly my sister. Uh, she's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wonder, there's a blame, by the way. God did it, not me. And the word that they use for wander here is a very specific word that it has an unbelievable negative connotation here. It's the worst word that you could use for wander. It's a blaming word, like you put me out here. From my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Uh, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. Now you remember In Genesis 14, when he went to Egypt, do you know when the king tried to give him some stuff, Abraham declined. Here he takes it. That's interesting. Abraham's in a different place. Not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm just telling you he's in a different place. And he restored Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a... (laughs) Isn't that funny? I got to tell you, I'm a smart aleck, if you didn't know. And it's like he's being a smart aleck right here. (laughs) Abimelech says to Sarah, hey, I told your brother. I gave your brother too much, man. 
a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you or uh, restores you, might be a better word, before all who are with you and before everybody. Abimelech was sort of thinking about how she would feel inappropriate and sort of trying to help her here because when it says thus she was rebuked, rebuked is not really the best word in the Hebrew, but you can do that study. So Abraham, here it comes. This is why I'm uh, hustling here. So Abraham prayed to God. You know, maybe integrity will wipe away your witness. And maybe you won't be able to preach to somebody anymore when you break down in integrity. But it'll never stop you from being able to pray for people. And Abraham was okay with that. And he was learning something. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. And then they bore children for the Lord had closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah and Abraham's wife. Now I want to bring you back, just back to verse 11. What's another great mistake that Abram makes in this chapter? Well, here's the great mistake. It's in just this little word in verse 11. And Abraham said, because I, watch, thought. (laughs) If you were writing this and you wanted to help Abraham along and encourage him and to put him on the right path, you know what that verse would say? And not that I'm advocating changing scripture. I'm saying this is what Abraham did. He should have done something else. And here it is. He should have said, because I prayed, I went and did something or something or something. But because he tried to work it out himself to manipulate the situation instead of trusting and looking to the face of God for his answers, he got in all this trouble and continued to get in trouble. Hagar and Ishmael, another example Amen? And here it says, I thought these things. I didn't pray. I didn't seek the Lord. I thought them. And look, the fear of God isn't in this place. Yeah, you're right, Abram. It's because you're not on your knees, bowing down, asking for strength and resource to walk you and your family through this. Guys, that's what we should be doing. Walking our family through this. Whatever it is, leading in this way. On our knees, praying, asking the Lord, what should we do? What should we be about? Where should we go? How should we do it? Lord, I need your help. And it's amazing here because Abram gets blessed. Tons of money. Livestock, whatever it is. Female servants. Male servants, and he gets all these things, and his wife restored, the most important thing. The Lord is so good to him. If you ever start this, and I start this, and I'm the pastor, oh my goodness, I'm doing so great this month. I went to four Bible studies. I remembered to tithe. I've prayed some. I helped some people who needed help. They needed move. They called me. I'm doing so great. It's like everything's sailing along. This Christian thing is almost easy, Lord. 
If you ever start to think something like that, and I must confess, we do. Remember Genesis chapter 20. Because it's not about you. So what's the moral of the story? How do we do? What do we do in 2024, starting today, although it's still 2023? What do we do? What would we do? How do we guard against this? Because even though these things happen and God blessed him and kept him in the game and uh, still could use him, certainly we want to please the Lord because the Bible tells us if we want to show love to the Lord, we'll just obey what he asks. Amen? Obedience isn't for gaining acceptance. Obedience is an outflow of being a kid of the king, right? So what do we do here? Here's what I think we do. And you say, oh, okay pastor speak, but I don't think so. I think what we do is we turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we say, I don't want to live such a rocky road. I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. Half truth, honest. Sexual perversion, not sexual perversion. Looking at pornography, putting it away for two weeks. I don't want to live like that. I want to just live like the Lord intends me to. And I want to uh, glorify the Lord. And so I think what we do as we head into 2024 is to listen to Paul, who, by the way, Paul had some of these things as well. And I think this is what we do. I think we read and understand this, verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit. I wonder why he didn't say soar in the Spirit or run in the Spirit or be victorious in the Spirit. Why do you think he said walk? I got this little thing on my Garmin. It's really interesting. I guess it's on the Apple thing, but anyway, whatever. You know this. These things are so amazing. They take how far my strides are. (laughs) And it tells you on your phone or on your statistics, uh, Tim, you're getting a little older. doesn't say it, but it's kind of saying it. Your strides are really shortening. If you put one of these on, you know, my sons or whatever, the strides are way out here. If you put, no, not that far. But anyway, if you put them on me, they're really short. And that's the point. Why do you think Paul used walk in the spirit? Because he's saying just a little bit by a little bit. One foot in front of the other. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means to consciously practice the presence of God. It means to recognize and remember that when you become a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your life. There's the indwelling of the Spirit. It means, according to what we would believe, is that you're going to be baptized in the Spirit so that God, or excuse me, you don't just have God, but God has all of you. Think about that for a minute. And... You're overflowing because the Bible says, be being filled, Ephesians, with the Spirit. Keep going. 
when you leak, get filled back up and keep being filled with the spirit and to walk in the spirit. Because if you don't walk in the spirit and you read what's happening in Galatians at the beginning of chapter five, you're like, oh, ooh, shoot. That sounds like Genesis chapter 20. I guess it's later, but the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery, by the way, pharmakia has to do with drugs, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's walking according to the flesh. But walking according to the spirit is the things of the spirit. They're things like, you know, the things that we all want. Love, not love like the world. You look good, I'll love you. I look good, you'll love me. If we don't look good, all bets are off. That's the world. The wor- This says we'll love you no matter what. You hate me? Don't matter. I still love you. You're calling me out on Facebook? I love you. Or whatever. It's just a little by little. It's every day, every minute, recognizing as you walk that the Lord has given you the life and resource to live a life of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and uh, self-control. And I love the rest of the verse. You can't legislate against something like that. Or it says, against such there is no law. You can't legislate. I get it. Nobody wants prayer out of schools. But nobody can take prayer out of schools. Nobody. You go to your school and pray. Who's going to stop you? Nobody. Nobody's going to stop you. Say, well, I didn't do it by the flagpole. You can pray right there at your seat. Keep praying. Nobody can legislate against it. Who can legislate against you hate me and I love you back? You want to kill me and I want to lay down my life for you. Who could legislate against that? You can't. It's an unstoppable force, God's love. And it happens when a church, a body, the body, the church walks in the spirit. Not, now listen, not walks according to morality. And here's the punchline. Abimelech was a morally or excuse me, acted morally great in this story. And he was nothing but a dead man. You see it? When you go back to Genesis chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed and God accounted it unto him as righteousness. Abraham, the jerk in this story, Abimelech was acting morally right, and he was a dead man. What a story. You know, I'm sometimes, don't you? I want to be so moral, so I just got the flesh rises up. I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm moral, and then I kind of look around and I go, well, I'm moral, way moral, much more moral than that clown. And the Bible addresses it. He says, if it was that way, all of us would boast. And I know that to be true. It's God's grace, people. 
It's God's mercy that we're to throw ourselves upon. The one who is acting like a jerk, and no one here is advocating that us as the people of God should act like a jerk, but the reality was he did do this, is the one who was saved, it was accounted unto righteousness, and the one who was morally acting right was a dead man. Wow, what a lesson. And so when we move into 2024 and we have these people lead us in this song, let's pray that the Lord would show us more and more and help us to walk in the Spirit, that we would sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh, that we would know and be open and sensitive to the things of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, not anything else, would control us. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we come here this evening or this afternoon and we, we take your, what you've said in your word seriously. It's set us on our ear here. <laughs> the one who was acting morally right was a dead man and the one who wasn't acting morally right was a lie. Lord, it's all because of what you've done Thank you that you've given some of us here the call to believe. And we pray that if there's anyone here that's never surrendered their life to Jesus, that they would do that today. That if somebody here didn't know that they were having or that they have eternal life, that they could know and they'd come up after and speak with us. And they'd give their lives to Jesus. It's not about morality. It's about your grace and goodness and your work at the cross and your death and your resurrection and your new life. And for that, we never tire of giving you praise.